0: Alright, so Simran is a repetition of a mantra or sound which we do in this practice constantly. Satnam, Satnam, Satnam. Sometimes Wahiguru, but we use a lot of Satnam. In my own personal practice, I use both when I do the technique Satnam and Wahiguru. And you begin to cultivate this sound current on a regular basis. And in doing so, you start to create space, not only in the physical body, but you start to create an aura or a vibration or a frequency around you that causes life to seem pretty great. Satnam means what? Truth is my identity. That's the simple way of saying it. But I like to go a little deeper. I got interviewed yesterday for the Sikh Heritage Month in April, and they want to do a piece about somebody who was not raised a Sikh but has been touched by the practice so it's an honor to do that but the challenge was they said can you explain this stuff as if you're explaining it to a fifth grader and i said i'm a mystic so that's hard <laughs> you know i start talking about the cosmos and how many atoms are in the body and all of these things and they're like oh okay yeah but like why do you wear a turban <laughs> you know so anyways By the end of the talk, I think you'll have some understanding on how this works because Simran, in my opinion, Simran, the repetition of a sound could be anything It has to work for you, right? Like if you were to walk around saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, or thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, it would work because you would be in that vibration and that frequency because we're interested in the essence of what is being carried. The cool thing about Simran though, I mean the Gurmukhi is a language that was created for the equality of all people. That's why the language was invented. In a time in India where if you were low caste, there's still problems with this. But at that time, about 500 years ago, if you were low caste and you even heard the Vedas being chanted and you were uh, low caste, some people would torture you or pour molten lead in your ears. It was really nasty. And a woman, you couldn't go near it, you'd have to be a Brahmin and a man to go near that. And this language was created, so it was accessible to everybody, which is why the sound current was created. So you tune into that frequency when you repeat it. So that's why it's potent, but you could use, you know, whatever. So. But Satnam, the wider lens version of it is truth. The word is truth, Satya. And Nam is not only your individual identity, but Nam is when you hear a scientist say that everything is frequency and vibration. Everything is frequency and vibration. This, this, you know, the birds, the clouds, the water, that everything has a frequency and a vibration. That's Nam. So it means like there's truth in everything. And that's who you are and it's available within you and around you at all times. It's always present. The challenge is, do you notice? The challenge is, do you notice? Because a lot of us, including myself, have minds that are too busy being negative to notice. You know? it, most of us are walking around with a critic inside of our head, basically. You know? And that critic usually came from some conditioning You know, maybe, and sometimes it's your parents and they didn't even mean to do it. You know, like they say something in passing that really had a deep, created a deep wound in you and they didn't even know. And sometimes you didn't even know, you know, you know, (laughs) yes. Okay. Thinking and believing can create multiple changes in the physical body. True or not true? Thinking and believing can create multiple changes in the physical body. Is true, like a placebo effect, right? Say they give 100 patients a drug that's going to perform some kind of, uh, treat some kind of symptom. And then they give 100 patients a placebo effect. And it depends on the study, but let's say in the drug, case of the drug, 80 of the 100, the drug works. Well, in the placebo effect, they find that 60 to 80, it also works, and it's a sugar pill. So that means that the belief is causing the healing to take place. And the interesting thing about that is even in the case of the drug, if you believe it's going to work, it also has the same effect, right? Kind of interesting. So we know it's true, and we also know that negative thinking has the equally powerful effect in the opposite direction. It has to. It's a polarity planet. So if it works in the positive, it also works in the negative. You know, If you were to walk around thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, what kind of reality would you be existing in? And you'd be creating that reality, ultimately. Making sense? Okay. The interesting thing, and some of you have heard me say this before, is that in today's day and age and in science, we know that the cells or your genealogy is not influenced primarily by your bloodline. We used to think that your bloodline is what influenced it. So if you had a heart problem, or if your father had a heart problem, you'll probably have a heart problem. If your father and your father's father had a heart problem, you'll probably have a heart problem. That's an old way of thinking. We now know that your environment is the primary source of influence on your cellular structure or your genealogy. There's a a scientist named Bruce Lipton who was there at the beginning of stem cell research in the 1960s. He took three identical cells and placed them in a petri dish or an enclosed environment and made each of the environments different. Three identical cells and three different environments. One cell created bone, one cell created muscle, one cell created fat. Three identical cells created different cells the way that they were producing life or matter because of the environment. Isn't that interesting, right? So the environment is the most important influencer on your health and wellness and your cellular structure. So that means that liver cells should adjust to the environment. People are thinking about that, right? Like your liver cells should just adjust. Like when you're walking around, you're not like, okay, well, I better make sure that my liver's okay when I walk into this, studio. Anybody have that thought when they walked in here? Probably not, right? You just assume that your liver is going to take care of you. You know, if you go next door for food, you're not like, okay, liver, we're about to have sushi, so get ready, let's do this. You just assume that the liver is going to take care of the environment for you and take care of you. But the challenge with that is that your liver cells don't touch the environment because they're inside of you. So what's influencing the liver cells? Your perception of the environment is the primary influencer, which is your consciousness, the way that you see what's happening. That's the most important thing. So now we're starting to see how Simran works. You're creating the reality for your cells to either thrive or struggle by your perception. You with me okay so you have the capacity to change your mind to change your perception and that means that you can control your genetic activity rather than be a victim of your genetic activity you have a say you make the vote so if you're walking around in a state of Satnam, 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 or thank you, thank you, thank you, or I love you, I love you, I love you, or whatever it is, you're starting to create that perception that is having an effect on the cellular structure. That's what we're doing in this practice. Satnam, Satnam, Satnam. And you notice that your thinking mind tries to infiltrate the experience. Like I was saying, this is my least favorite exercise in the yoga. Inhale up, exhale down. I can't stand it. And I have to. that's my opportunity to focus on the environment is really challenging, but can I create an environment that is at peace with the experience? That's how it works. So when I'm dealing with some challenging situation out there in the mad world that we live in, I have a better chance of showing up as the person I want to be, rather than the person you know, I've been defined by my circumstances or you know, whatever, what my parents were like or their parents or my school teacher that we didn't get along or, you know, whatever it is. And we know that you have your influence by your consciousness. So let's talk a little bit about the mind and the conscious mind. So you have a conscious mind and you have a subconscious mind. Everybody's heard these terms. It's pretty basic terminology. The conscious mind is like the creative mind. Right? You, your conscious mind, you're creating the reality, as long as you're aware of what you're doing. You know? I take the notes, I put them all here, I come to the class, I share them with you. That's a very conscious activity. But what's happening while I'm doing those things is the subconscious mind is creating programming. So I repeat something over and over, like when I get in my car, I'm not like, where does this key go again, you know? I've driven my car hundreds of thousands of times. I just get in and put the key in and I turn. I don't even think about it. That's the subconscious mind, okay? Clear about that? That's the programs that are running without you having to think about it. Well, when does most of the uh, programming go into your being? Early childhood, most of it, like 80% between the ages of zero and seven. Isn't that crazy? And so most of that programming is being influenced by other people's opinions, other people's values, other people's experiences. Most of your programming goes in then. And if you don't have any awareness of this, you don't have some kind of practice where you can change the programming, then you're defined by the programming, which is the same way we thought about genetics and how you respond to some condition that is in the family. You, can't, you don't have much say in it, so what are you gonna do? Make sense, and then you've got trauma and conflict happening to a lot of young people in those ages, zero to seven. Alcoholism in the home, abusive parent in the home, or even the stuff that you the parent even know, right? Like, say the child wanted to try out for the school play, and the father of the child says, "Well, don't get your hopes up because you know you might not get the part or something," you know. And he's saying that from a place of love, but the child hears what? You're not good enough to be in a play. And then they carry that for their whole life. So they're gonna try something new, and that voice says, you can't do that, right? It's from the subconscious mind, the programming. And this trauma and conflict that comes if we don't have any tools to process, it can be triggered by the senses and you know, it can be triggered by not even like somebody talking to you. It could be triggered by a smell and you don't even know why you're like upset about something. It could be triggered by a sound. Isn't it true? Like, think about it. Music has a power to transport you. Like you hear a song and it puts you back in time. You know, or smell. I'm not really like a smell kind of person. Like, has to just be like, it smells weird in here. I'm like, really? I can't smell anything. But hearing is a big one for me, you know. But if we don't have something to deal with those things, we become controlled by our thinking mind. Right? And that's a hard way to live. So we cultivate a regular practice to do something about that which is the sound current, the repetition of sound, you know, because when I'm in the state of satnam, 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 there's not a whole lot of space for anxiety and depression. There's not room for it because I'm so committed to it. And then when I go off my satnam, 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 what comes in is the programming. And then I notice like if I'm tired, like I had a long, say we have a course here and I'm teaching all day long and I get home and I'm tired and my daughter like wants to show me something and I'm not present with her, I notice like my father's voice coming through. Like a voice that I said I was never gonna use. It just comes in and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I don't say that out loud, but you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm sorry about that. I'm gonna be present with you. I get down on a level I make eye contact and do something about it. But you can see how it happens. I just want to say the one last thing and then we'll get to the practice. There have been studies on people who have experienced radical remissions. Have you heard of this before where the cancer actually leaves the body of an individual without treatment. Have you heard of it? I mean, it's not totally common, but it's a miracle that can happen. And I'm only bringing this up because it's interesting that there was a researcher named Kelly Turner who committed her the last 10 years of her life to studying these cases. 1,500 cases of radical remission she studied. Okay, so is it just a random occurrence? 1,500 of them in, in 10 years? All over the world, not just in North America, all over the world. Why did that happen? Is there some sort of common theme? Let's take a look at it. And she said there was 75 sort of things that people said that they did in relationship to this healing that took place but she needed to look at the data and find the common theme, right? Like the ones that everybody kind of did. And so this is what uh, she came up with is pretty fascinating. Um, and this is by the way, for many types of uh, cancers, so not just one type of cancer. So the nine common factors are this, radically changing your diet, taking control of your health, following your intuition, using herbs and supplements, releasing suppressed emotions, increasing positive emotions, embracing social support, deepening your spiritual connection, and having a strong reason for living. Pretty amazing. And then I thought, okay, well let's look at my own personal spiritual practice and kind of like what we share in this space. So radically changing your diet, i'm pretty adamant about this that you need to eat a whole food plant-based diet some people have other ideas about that but test it out for me that's there's no question about that and it made the list so you can have your whatever programming and opinions that you like is pretty essential number two take control of your health breath work exercise be in nature these are important components and when i say be in nature it doesn't mean just Uh, physically, it means rhythmically. You know what I mean by rhythmically? Follow the patterns of nature. Because why? Because you're that. Your body is made of earth, water, fire, breath, sound, and vibration, consciousness. Okay? Follow your intuition. This yoga practice is all about that, right? Sunye, deep listening, deep listening, deep listening. If I just like stop doing my sadhana, my daily practice for two weeks, my intuition will not be active at all. Believe me, I've tried it before. I go on vacation with my mom or something. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, not recently, years in the past. I just let my sadhana go and just see what happens with my mom. And by the end of the two weeks, I'm behaving like a child. You know, not childish, like she's cutting my food for me or something. But all these old problems come up because I'm allowing the programming to take control. Maybe you've experienced that before. And some of you I've spoken to have experienced the other side of that when you keep up with the practice, you don't go there. You, feel, you see it coming and then you go the other way. Or like Lao Tzu said, when the arrow arrives, be not present, he said. When the arrow arrives, be not present. And as soon as the arrow's gone, be present again. Sounds simple, right? It's very Yoda-like teaching. But Lao Tzu is very Yoda-like. Uh, using herbs and supplements, you, If you've been around me enough, I'm like waving the Ayurveda flag constantly. So that's kind of a no brainer, Uh, releasing suppressed emotions. Hello, Kundalini yoga and Simran. That's what it does. That's what we're talking about here. Increasing positive emotions. Kundalini yoga, definitely music. Definitely nature. Definitely laughing. I know my jokes are bad, but come on. Once in a while I get a good one in there. Yes. My wife would say, well, not really. <laughs> she thinks she's funnier than me. You know? And community. right? Having a community space where people can come, a bricks and mortar space in this time where most people connect through this, is essential. You know? Wherever it is, I'm glad you came here. Thanks for coming. Um, embracing social support in this tradition they talk about the sad sangit the company of the holy and they say just being in the presence of people who are open to these ideas can bring liberation to your life right and same thing happens in recovery you want to recover from addiction community is essential you're dealing with some illness community is essential you can't face it on your own you know what i'm saying deepening your spiritual connection you know Pray, devotional practice. This is all what we're about when we do this work. And the last thing is have a strong reason for living. And what starts to happen is as you vibrate Simran, as you vibrate that sound current and vibration, as you do your daily sadhana, your purpose becomes so clear. If you do your daily sadhana, eventually you'll notice that your dharma is unavoidable. It's unavoidable, but in order to do that, you gotta get some momentum. With every, you know, it doesn't have to be this practice. You have other practices that you do, like whatever brings you to a state of joy and, and love and really fulfills your deepest uh, needs and makes you full and bright and present, then keep doing that as a daily practice. And those are the common qualities for healing. And the cool thing about this, I'm interested in a holistic, integrated practice that's preventive. I'm not going to wait until I've got cancer to start doing these things. Or I'm not going to wait until my relationship is so shitty that I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, I want to start now. We have this one technique in Kundalini Yoga called the Kirtan Kriya. And you do the Kirtan Kriya on the hands. And they've had this, uh, through these studies, found out that it will start to slow down the uh, symptoms, basically, of Alzheimer's disease. Well, my teacher said, as as since he found out about this study and that it's been proven, he said, I've been doing that meditation every day for the past five years. I don't have Alzheimer's disease, nor do I want it. You know, so you start doing the work. We're not going to do that meditation today, but if you want to know about it, just ask me after the class. So. All that being said let's have an experience of Simran through the breath and through the mantra let's create health vitality and deal with some of that nonsense that happens inside our heads come on to your hands